Well, if you've been with us these past couple of weeks, then you know that this Advent season we're looking at four Advent themes, uh, each theme traditionally represented uh, by the four Advent candles. They're also each expressed in Romans chapter 5, the first part of that chapter where we have been the last couple of weeks and where we will be this week as well as next. And if you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you, uh, you're going to find that on page 942, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, where we see these four Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so far we have looked at hope and peace. Uh, Next week we're going to look at the theme of love. And so that means that today we're going to consider joy. Advent joy. And joy is referenced specifically uh, three times in this passage in Romans 5 uh, by the word rejoice. So before we hear this part of God's word, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, that you are a God who has spoken, and that through the power of your spirit, even now you still speak to us today as we read and hear and study your word, the Bible. And so we ask, please bless us. Bless us this day beyond mere intellectual understanding. And do a transforming work in us, deep in our hearts, that we might believe all the more and be those marked by your joy. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, still powerless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And this 
is God's Word. Verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Joy, joy, joy. With the coming of Jesus came the arrival of joy. And who doesn't like joy? I mean, even in the end, Ebenezer Scrooge and the Grinch realized that joy is preferable to grinchiness and grouchiness. But you know, here we are, once again, a season marked by joy. And when you think about it, what, what are some of the things that bring you joy during Christmas time? Presents, decorations, food and drink, family and friends, just getting through it all. If that's your answer, bah humbug. But seriously, when you, when you think about joy, true lasting joy, this is what we all crave. And why is that? Because it's what we are all wired for. But how easy especially this time of year, to, to lose sight of all of that, to lose sight of what it's really all about. Psychologist uh, Dr. Laura Markham notes, those material presents are a bit like drugs. There's a dopamine lift and it's temporary, and it's followed by a deeper inner craving. That's just the way human biology is designed to keep us motivated toward our goals. But when this boom and bust cycle is repeated over and over and over, especially when it happens quickly, as is often the case on Christmas morning, it can become tinged with desperation. And so we're always looking for the next thing, the next fix that might do the trick. We want it. True, lasting joy. It's what we crave. It's what we are made for. And so, why does it so often seem to be so temporary, even fleeting? Well, it's because we have confused deep, lasting joy with instantaneous, temporary happiness. You see, what the world calls happiness isn't Christian joy. Our world typically defines happiness as, as getting control of our lives is, is having our ducks in a row so that, that our circumstances are favorable. Now, I prefer favorable circumstances. They're, they're not bad. But we often think that true happiness is getting my circumstances in the right place. I'm only happy, happy if things are going well. Circumstances are favorable. That's what I often grasp for. But you know, that is not true, biblical, lasting, Christ-centered joy. It's so unpredictable, so fragile. I mean, circumstances can change in a heartbeat. We all know that. And so what, what I'm aiming for today is this. Joy is only as strong as its object. Joy is only as strong as its object. And so if Jesus is the true object of your joy, then your joy is solid and lasting, and it cannot ultimately be shaken. 
And yet, in our sin blindedness, we often don't see Jesus clearly. And so we look to other things for joy. We often look to other things for joy, things that are more tangible, that that seem more accessible, more attainable. And so we rip open present after present after present in a desperate search for joy. So this is where Romans 5 is helpful. Helpful in better understanding the gift of joy that we're given in Christ. Better understanding what true, lasting joy really is. Now, as we've already seen these past, these past couple of weeks, we learned some wonderful things in this passage about our salvation. Uh, some profound truths about our justification, of, of being made totally right with God, not guilty in any way. Uh, verse 1, we have peace with God. The state of hostility between God and us, that it's gone. It's done. It's finished. It's, it's over. It's something objective, not based on how I feel. And it's ushering in wholeness and healing. Verse 2. We have access into grace. Grace in which we now stand. So in other words, we've been given a favorable position from which to cultivate a personal, life-giving relationship with God. And then the end of verse 2, we have hope of the glory of God. There is certainty in our anticipation of all that's come. Not a mere wish, but a certainty. We know for sure that we will be with God one day forever. Perfect peace, perfect joy, sharing His glory, enjoying His presence. And I mean, that's some great stuff. And, and those are things, I'm sure like you, I can rejoice in. But then Paul makes a most startling statement. Verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings? I, I don't know if I like that. I, I don't know if I really get that. I mean, it's... At first read, it's pretty confusing. It can even be frustrating. Well, it is a verse that can easily be misread. And so here is what Paul is not saying. Okay, he is not saying that you rejoice for suffering or about suffering. Hey, I'm suffering. This is great. So he's not saying that you enjoy it. He's also not saying that you use it. You don't use suffering to deal with your guilt. You don't, use it to, you don't wear it as a badge of superiority over those who don't quite suffer like you do. Now, that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here is that you and I can rejoice in the midst of our suffering. You're not necessarily happy about it, but you can rejoice in the midst of it. Friends, we can know true, lasting joy even in the midst of the storm. Well, in his commentary on Romans, uh, Tim Keller points out a couple of ways that Christian joy is unique. First, Christian joy is unique because it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on circumstances at all. 
Now, if you think about suffering, what, what is suffering? Suffering is favorable circumstances going away. Or, or maybe never having had favorable circumstances in the first place. And Romans 5 tells us that we can rejoice in our sufferings. That you can rejoice in the midst of your unfavorable undesirable, unlikable circumstances. But how? Because, verse 11, you also rejoice in God. God does not change. He's not affected by circumstances. His grace and power remain on you, in you, no matter what. And he is always doing a work within us. You see, we've got to hold together verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 begins, we rejoice in our sufferings. But why? Why would we do that? Well, what do we see here? Suffering strengthens endurance. Endurance creates character. And character does what? It leads to more hope. Hope in the future glory of God, which makes us rejoice now. Okay, so do you see how this, this is all related? T- take a look. Verse 2 says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we find joy in that hope. And then verse 3 says that suffering can actually give you more hope and thus more joy. What this is saying is that true lasting joy, unlike worldly happiness... True, lasting joy can not only be sustained when favorable circumstances go away, but it can also increase. Okay, so when I was a kid, my mom told me, don't eat between meals. Anybody else ever experienced that? Now that's suffering. (laughs) Do not eat between meals. Why? Because it's going to ruin your dinner. Oh, but come on, I'm so hungry. I mean, dinner is a half hour away. I am starving. Just one little Snickers bar. Come on, Mom. I mean, we all know Snickers satisfies, right? <laughs> but see, see the issue is, is that when you, when you snack between meals, especially if it's junk food, you get that, that sugar fix, and so you don't feel as hungry as your body really is. It masks the fact that, that you, that your body needs protein and the other good nutrients that come from a good meal, and so when you get to the dinner table, you don't eat as you should. Well, similarly, favorable circumstances can give us a sugar fix. We think that they satisfy, but they don't. And if we only feast on favorable circumstances, then we don't feast on the bread that we really need. And so the loss of favorable circumstances drives us to the dinner table. It drives us to God. Then we feast on Him. And we receive the life-giving nutrients that our soul really needs. So what we read here in Romans 5 is that when things go bad, when when we are driven back to God, when things go bad and we are driven back to God, then we develop a composure 
a, a resiliency, an, an inner strength, a courage that comes from him to run this difficult race, to run the race of faith. And during that, we are filled with a joy, a deep, lasting joy, a joy that doesn't go away even when favorable circumstances do. You're not necessarily happy about it, but you can rejoice in the midst of it. You can know true, lasting joy in the midst of the storm. Okay, so first, Christian joy is unique because it's not based on circumstances. Second, Christian joy is unique because it's already not yet. It's already but not yet. I hear the laugh. That is the one we wrestle with that tension. If you've been around this church for a while, you've heard this phrase, and in particular over the last couple of weeks. The blessings of God's salvation are already here, but not yet in full. Again, verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's certainty in that anticipation that's to come. Of all things made new, of all sad things coming untrue, we know we will be with God forever. No question. Sharing His glory, enjoying His presence. And so that means that you have a life-changing certainty about the future. Not necessarily about your circumstances right here and now but about the enormity of the future before us. And that certain hope for tomorrow, it brings lasting joy for today. It's not yet fully here, but it informs the already here and now. So about three weeks ago, uh, one of the few times that I was procrastinating, I, um, I, I came across this fascinating article. Uh, and, and, and it gripped my attention. Now, the title's pretty long. I had to look it back up. It's entitled this, Revisiting 1977's Toyless First Star Wars Christmas, 40 Years Later. Okay, so the gist of it is this. Uh, Christmas, 40 years ago, it was right after the release of the original and best Star Wars. Now, so the, the interesting thing is, heading into 1977, there was this guy named George Lucas. And he was going around to these toy companies and saying, hey, I've got this great idea. I'm, I'm about to launch a movie. I think it's going to be pretty big. Would you want to get in on this and make some toys, some action figures and the like, uh, that will go with the film? And toy company after toy company said, no, no, no. It, you, you make the toys that go with the television shows. That, that was the case. It goes with, why? Because TV shows last. There's multiple seasons. Movies are one and done, right? <laughs> so there was a guy, though, at a toy company at the time known as Kenner, Kenner Toys. And he said, I like this idea. We will do it. Now, here was the problem, though. The first trailer for Star Wars wasn't going to come out until February 1977. The movie's not going to be released until May of 1977. And there is no way that any toy company that can get ready, at least at that time, could not get ready, could not mass produce the toys needed for that Christmas. And so this executive at Kenner said, that's not a problem. 
Instead of Star Wars toys, Star Wars figures this Christmas, we're going to sell the promise of Star Wars action figures. We're going to sell an empty box. And that's what they did. Okay, it was known as the early bird certificate package. And so your parents could go to the store and for only $10, only $10, be at least 12 today, right? Only $10, you could get the early bird certificate package, wrap it up, and on Christmas morning, your child opens the gift and there is a box. Okay? Now, there might be a few stickers inside, but the neat thing is this box, it flipped, it it turned over into a display stand, and inside was a mail-in certificate. And this certificate guaranteed that you would receive the 12 original Star Wars action figures when they were ready. And so the display stand, seen a picture of it, looks pretty neat, It, it folds in half, and It's got each of these original action figures, the characters from the film, uh, with a space backdrop. And then there's a little place where each of the 12 figures can be displayed when they start arriving. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind, is that the action figures, it says, will arrive sometime, begin arriving sometime between February 1 and June 1. Yeah, you know, this day and age, there's no way we could handle waiting like that. Almost six months. But it was fascinating to read some of the people who'd been interviewed for this article. And and one of the guys who had been a little boy at the time, he said, you know what? That was really my best Christmas ever. It lasted month after month after month. And you see what he's getting at. It was, it was the joy of that promise, the anticipation, that certainty that made the waiting exciting. I'm sure not every day was great for him, but there was something he was looking forward to. He had a display board, a stand to look at and to yearn and to remind him of what was coming down the pike. And he said when those action figures began arriving, it was like the joy increased even more. Already here, not yet in full, but marked by increasing joy. And friends, you see, everything, everything that brings us joy, from the smallest action figure to the largest gift we could imagine, everything that brings you joy, that gives you a taste of it here and now, they're all signposts pointing to the joy giver himself. And here's the thing. Don't mistake the signposts for what they're pointing to. Don't settle for the signposts. They're all pointing to God. They're all pointing to Jesus. Jesus himself said, I have come that my joy may be in you And that your joy may be complete. John 15, 11. Later, the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Jesus is the Lord of joy. The joy giver. The one who laid down his life for us so that we 
might taste and see now, regardless our circumstance, that we might taste and see now and find hope and joy in the fullness to come. The signposts will never satisfy. The joy giver can and will. Again, joy is only as strong as its object. And if Jesus is the true object of your joy, then your joy is solid and lasting and cannot ultimately be shaken no matter what your circumstances are. But how? How do we get this joy? How how can we pursue this joy? Let me just end, end with this. Let me quickly give you a couple of ways to pursue this joy. Okay, first, pursue the joy giver, not the joy itself. Pursue the joy giver. Spend time with God. Okay, re- read your Bible, the Word of God. Move beyond mere uh, academic study, intellectual exercise, checking off the boxes of a daily devotional, but enter into the story. Inhabit the story. Look for Jesus in the story. Find him there and follow him. And pray. Pray to God. Pray not just at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Pray to God as a friend throughout the day. Talk to God as a, as a child to his or her loving father. And be honest with him. Confess your sins to him. Your fears, your anxieties, your insecurities. Confess your anger, your hopes, and dreams, your needs. Thank him for where you see him at work. Hear his voice, listen to him, follow him. And so first, pursue the joy giver. Second, pursue the joy giver in community. Pursue the joy giver with other people. People Get to know God in the context of relationship with others. It's what we were created for. Do you, do you see, we are all fellow, fellow image bearers who have the capacity then to reflect the love of God to each other. Oh, we can reflect other things as well. But as image bearers of God washed in the gospel to reflect his love to each other. Genesis 33.10, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, Jacob and Esau, long enmity between these two, great hostility, haven't seen each other for years. Their paths are about to cross. Jacob is scared to death and has every reason to be. And Esau, his brother, comes running toward him, throws his arms around him, accepts him, and forgives him. And Jacob looks at his brother and says this, For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Do you hear that? We can turn to one another and experience that grace, that love of God, and say, Brother, sister, for to see your face, it's like seeing the face of God because you have received me in all of my mess and brokenness. You have received me favorably. Fellow image bearers who can reflect 
the love of God to one another. And so that means we've got to be a safe place for each other. A safe place for sinners. Not for our our sin, but a safe place for us is sinners. Knowing and being known. Loving and being loved. Accepting and being accepted. Forgiving and being forgiven. Because you see, there is a an amazingly deep joy in truly being known and loved by another. And yet, as you know, we are, we're all a people who crave to be loved and yet fear to be known. And so that means that you've got to fight for this joy. You've got to fight for it. And friends, it is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for because the more and more that we experience being known and loved by another, the more and more that we actually become convinced that we are known and loved by God. And that is true joy. The joy of being known and loved by God. Amen? Amen. Amen.